Today, we got one Sunday in between, and I really wanted to focus in for just a minute on the, on the, the opening paragraph of the Bridge Vision Statement. Some of you have seen the statement. Some of you perhaps have seen it and forgotten it. If you've taken the ownership class, you've seen it, no doubt. If you haven't taken it, sign up for it. Get into the ownership class. Be a part of what God is doing here. But let me read the opening paragraph statement to you. It goes like this. The bridge is the vision of a loving community of people from every walk of life and background who are fully devoted to following Jesus Christ together. Now, unpack that just a little bit. Let's break that down. Loving community is kind of self-explanatory, wouldn't you say? That's people who care about people. I mean, they're focused on uh, not just themselves, but, but the people around them, the community within, the community outside. Fully devoted followers of Christ, that's pretty self-explanatory. Can you be a fully devoted follower of Christ even though you're very immature and just starting out in your journey? Sure. Can you be fully devoted if you've been walking with the Lord for 30 years? Sure. Devotion isn't about how far you've gone on the journey. It's about being all in with your heart. And so we're, we're committed to being this, we're serious about what we do. I like to say it a lot, well, we don't take ourselves very seriously, but we take what we do very seriously. So we are fully devoted to following Jesus Christ together. The challenge is, quite frankly, the every walk of life and background. So when we say every walk of life and background, does that mean every socioeconomic level of society is welcome in this house? Rich and poor, educated and not, for sure. Does it mean every religious and denominational background is welcome in this house? Sure. In fact, I'd say we're pretty much nailing that one. If we did a survey, you'd probably find every denominational background you can think of represented across the house. Uh, that, that's true. Does it mean every age group is, is, uh, is welcome and represented in the house? I think we're doing a pretty good job of that one. We've got them a few days old all the way up to the end of their 90s, and, and God's blessed us with a good range across the generation. Uh, does it mean that every a racial and ethnic group in our community is a part of the church? Yeah, and, and we're the mirror image of our community, so we're nailing that one. Got quiet all of a sudden, didn't it? In case you're wondering, that's... Ethnic segregation has been an issue since the beginning of time. The early church struggled with it. Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Samaritans, they just real struggle. But what was God's goal and vision from the very beginning of time? Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 and 9. Let's read it together. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so that's a beautiful picture, a beautiful image that we are all one in Christ, that there is a, a common culture, a common set of values that unites us, and it's under the lordship and headship of Jesus Christ. But this whole idea of being heirs to the inheritance, according to this, is according to the, to what? To the promise. So it begs the question, what's the promise? I'm glad you asked, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Now, God has revealed to us his, his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan, and this is the plan. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and there will be no 
generational boundaries and there will be no ethnic boundaries and there will be no male-female religious background boundaries. There'll be no Baptist in heaven. There'll be no Methodist in heaven. There'll be no Pentecostals in heaven. There'll just be followers of Jesus Christ in heaven. Well, I got a few amens over here. I got a few blank stares over here. Not saying don't be proud of your heritage and certainly not making fun of any churches in the area. There'll be no bridge owners in heaven. Just followers of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this, but this church ain't going to heaven. We are the church, and we're the ones going. So the bottom line is this. I want to read some scripture this morning. I'm going to read a lot of scripture because I want, I want you to see the picture of God's plan in action. This plan of bringing it all together under the authority of Jesus Christ. So if you will, go with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Maybe you brought a Bible. You got your smartphone with you. You can flip over to the, either the version Bible or you can, you can go to the Bridge NC app and call that up. Uh, and that app, you can download that if you haven't already. Just go to the Bridge NC app and, uh, and all the scriptures are there for you as well. I'm going to read through it. Uh, it'll be on the screens for those of you who don't have those uh, those methods for reading. I hope you will, but if you don't, then we'll read it on the screens together. Bottom line is I want us to get an image in our minds. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. I don't want to bog down in the detail of much of that scripture. I'll give you a little description as we go, but what, the bottom line is I want to get a picture in, in your mind. While you're looking for that, let me say a couple of things about the book of Revelation. I, I've, uh, I've read volumes on the book of Revelation and eschatology as a whole. I've attended seminars. I've taken classes at Bible college and, and seminary level. And I am absolutely no expert on interpreting the symbols that are in the book of Revelation. In fact, I'll say it this way. If you find somebody who is, run away. Because <laughs> there's a whole lot of stuff in there that will be revealed to us in the end of time. The second thing I, I, want, I want you to hear me say, and this may surprise some of you, but I want you to hear me say it. Uh, we make a mistake, in my opinion, if we read the book of Revelation as a crystal ball for the future. If we bog down into the symbols and what does that mean and, and is that Russia or is that America, or is, I, I think we make a huge mistake. And the reason I say that is we can miss the whole point of the book if we aren't careful. What's the full title of the book of Revelation? Anybody know? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's the purpose of the book? It's to reveal Jesus to us. And so as you read through the book of Revelation, and I hope that you will, I hope you won't skip it because the symbols intimidate you or whatever. As you read through it, I hope you'll read through that lens. Just read through that lens and say, who is Jesus Christ? Because he is revealed thoroughly in this book. Bottom line, he's revealed as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings the one for whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So let's get into it. Let me give you a little background. The book of Revelation is, uh, is written by the Apostle John, the disciple who, whom Jesus loved. And he wrote about the love of God so often, the love of Jesus so often. Late in his life, he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos for his faith. Probably one of the oldest men of his day, certainly, as far as I know, the oldest of the disciples to live, probably in his 80s, maybe even 90s, while he's on the Isle of Patmos. And while he's there, God gives him a series of visions about Jesus Christ and about coming events. And that's ultimately what he wrote down, that we now have the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? The first three chapters 
is really Jesus talking to the church. The church is still on earth in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, and Jesus is giving warnings and instructions to the seven churches that Paul planted in, 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 the, in the continent of Asia. Of course, the warnings are not just for them, therefore, therefore for a much broader audience than that. Some say that those warnings are, are periods of history, you know, there were different seasons since then. The church existed and went through these things. Other people, I think, uh, more accurately say that the, any of those warnings could apply to any church at any given time. And so you need to read them and, and make sure that our church isn't falling into some of those traps. But the bottom line, here's what I know, is when I read through the warnings to the seven churches, I'm not really even thinking about churches. I'm thinking about, God, what are you trying to say to me about me? How, how am I doing in the context of these warnings? That said, chapter 4, John has, has, has seen these warnings. He's heard the voice of Christ who's given these warnings. And now he's taken to this future event in heaven. Uh, whether he was zapped into the future through a time warp or he saw it in a vision, I, I really don't care. All I know is that, that, that it's a very real event that is coming. And quite frankly, I think it's coming very, very soon. I can't imagine that Jesus is going to tarry his return much longer. I may not get through this message today before this becomes a reality. That's how urgent and imminent I believe the coming of Jesus Christ is. He is coming again. Can I get an amen in the house? I believe he's coming again soon. So with that in mind, let's read through Revelation chapter 4. And, and again, don't bog down in the details of the symbolisms. We're trying to reveal Jesus Christ here. But I do want you to turn the camera on in your mind and see this. Here we go, verse 1. After this, what does this refer to? After the warnings that he just gave us in chapters 1, 2, and 3. After Jesus warned the church, John says, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. What is this? It's the time, the season of the church and these warnings are coming. And so this is going to happen after that. And, and who's the voice? It's the same voice that was warning the church. We're talking about Jesus, okay? So turn the camera on in your mind. Brace yourself. Let's go. Here we go. Verse 2. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircling the throne. So we got somebody on a throne, but it's not just a normal kind of throne. This, this throne is surrounded by vivid colors. I mean, so vivid that they're like precious gems, a rainbow that's like precious gems and, and rubies and jaspers, this phenomenal kind of scene of this someone sitting on a throne. Got it? You with me so far? Do your heads like this. I want you to track with me, okay? Verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and sitting with them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. So here you've got a throne, and then around that throne you've got 24 more thrones, and sitting on those thrones are these elders who are dressed in white and, and are wearing crowns of gold on their heads. A lot of speculation 
among scholars as to you know, who those 24 were. Some people say a representative of each of the 12 tribes and the 12 disciples. I, I don't know. I don't know that it's critical. All I know is that they're dressed in white and wearing gold ro- uh, crowns, which symbolizes that they were faithful They were holy before the Lord. These are faithful leaders that are gathered around the throne of the one who has this phenomenal rainbow circling him. You with me so far? You got got the image? Okay, here we go. Verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Stop for a minute. Think about thunder and lightning. Have you ever been, I know you have, but think about it. Have you ever been in a setting where, where the lightning struck and the thunder, thunder sounded at the same time? What did you do? You jumped out of your skin because there's nothing in creation more startling than the sound of thunder and the strike of lightning simultaneously. Boom! But even, in, even sometimes when the storm is in the distance and you can just see lightning striking against the clouds in the distance and you can hear thunder rolling, it's still this idea of immense power. Is it true? So that's the imagery I want you to get. So we got this immense beauty, rainbows and gems. We've got immense holiness, these leaders who are holy and faithful that are gathered around. And now we've got immense power that's there. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Again, I don't know the detail of what all that means. I don't think it's important other than to say seven is the number of perfection. So we've got absolutely perfect vision and perfect knowledge. Okay? Verse 6, also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Stop there for a minute. I want you to picture that one. So now he's looking at this image. What's the first thing he saw? Hello, were you out there? He saw the throne. And what's that throne like? Magnificent, these beautiful gems. And then surrounding them, he saw 24 elders. And then he sees thunder and lightning. And then he sees uh, this, these lamps and this just amazing, powerful scene. And then between him and that scene, he sees this kind of sea of glass that's absolutely crystal clear. Yeah, you ever been in a restaurant that, that when you first sit down, you think, man, this is a much bigger restaurant than it looks like from the outside. And then sometimes during the course of the meal, you look over and realize that whole opposite wall is just mirrors. And I need that bigger room, it just looks big. I think that's what he's saying. I think that's what he's saying is that just this immensity to it all is this image of, wow, this is, this is huge. This is phenomenal. This is bigger than anything I can picture. Pick it up. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Again, I don't no, I mean, lots of scholars say lots of stuff, but I don't know exactly what they represent. But for me and others that I've read after suggest that the lion is the crowning achievement of the wild animal kingdom. The ox is the most productive of the domesticated animal kingdom. Man, by scripture, is the crowning achievement of God's creation, created in his own image. And the eagle is the crowning achievement of his flying creature. So if that's how you interpret it, then I take this to mean not only did he see this amazing beauty and holiness and faithfulness and, and, and power and immensity, but he saw all of God's creation represented there. 
This is the crowning achievement of God's creation that's gathered around this throne. Ready to pick up verse 8? Here we go. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. I can't even wrap my brain around that picture. <laughs> I ain't even going to try to describe it to you. You can come describe it to me later if you want to. Here's the most important part. Here we go. Day and night, they never stop saying. Day and night, day and night. Say with me, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Day and night, they never stop saying all of creation in all of its beauty and all of its grandeur and all of its pureness and all of its immensity and all of its achievement and all of its power never stops saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Whatever these elements are, they recognize that the one, whoever that someone is sitting on the throne, he is worthy of worship. And not just the creatures, the 24 elders too. I mean, they may have been leaders in their own right, but they recognize there's only one that's worthy of worship. So here's the scene, verse 9, 9, 10, 11. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. Okay, here's a hint. For you created all things. We're trying to figure out who this someone is, and now we've got an idea of who this someone is. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. We're getting a sense of who who is the one sitting on the throne. It's the creator God who spoke, and the world came into existence. You talk about immensity. You talk about power. You talk about beauty. This is the one who spoke it into existence, who said, let there be light, and there was light, who said, let there be, and it was. I had a Christian ask me one time, he went away to college and he got into science uh, training and, and he was an engineer by trade and, and he got drawn into the evolution world in his trainings and he asked me one day, he's a follower of Christ, member of the church, and, and he asked me, he said, Pastor, what difference does it make whether God created it or not? I mean, if it's, so what if it's evolution? We still follow Jesus Christ. You, you understand why it's so important? It's because since he created it, He wrote the book for it. Because he created it, it's his. And he gets to define the rules because he made it. It's why it's so important. Everything flows back to who made it, therefore who owns it, who created it. We spent a whole series on that one. But, But hear me, guys. The one who's sitting on the throne, we now know, is the one who created all things. So you got got the scene? Do you hear like this? You got the scene? Everybody with me? You got it? Got the picture in your mind? Okay, here we go. Uh, here we go. Uh, don't bog down to the details. Okay, just keep the image. Chapter 5 is where it gets really personal. Ready to get personal? Say yes, or I'm going to keep going in four. Okay. Verse 1, thank you. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Again, that number seven in Scripture means perfect or complete or whole. And so this thing is completely sealed. This book, this scroll is completely sealed. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the seals and open the scroll? To break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. You got the picture? You still got the one on the throne. You got the 24 elders. You got the thunder and lightnings and the, and the rainbow and, and the immensity and the creatures. And everybody's worshiping the one who's sitting on the throne. And then the angel says, I got a scroll in my hand that needs to be opened. But there's nobody worthy to open it. What's the scroll? It's the book of redemption. It's the book where your name is written if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the book where all of the names of all of the redeemed of all time have been recorded in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. It is the eternal record of everyone who ever believed in their hearts and confessed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Who do you suppose is on that scroll, if you could open it up and read it right now. Who do you suppose is there? Hebrews chapter 11 tells us it includes Old Testament saints who believed forward before Jesus got here and it, and it was accounted unto them for righteousness just as if Jesus had already sinned. So we're talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua and Caleb. The New Testament tells us you see names like, like Peter and James and John and Paul and Dorcas and Phoebe. You'd see Cornelius, the first Gentile to accept that Christ is Messiah. You'd see all 3,000 of the people that were baptized on the day the church was born and the 5,000 that, that were baptized soon after and the hundreds of thousands that came to faith in Christ all the way to Caesar's household within one lifetime. All those names written on these scrolls. Think about modern history. You see names like Billy Graham and, and, and for me, Mordecai Ham, the preacher who preached the sermon when Billy Graham said yes. You'd see the name of the usher. I wish I knew this guy's name. You'd see the name of the usher who saw Billy Graham at the back of the tent revival who was about to leave because the tent was full. And he said, no, young man, don't leave. Please come in. I'll find a place for you to sit. And he found a place for Billy to sit the night that Mordecai shared the gospel and Billy gave his life to Christ. You'd see that usher's name there, right next to Mordecai Ham's name, right next to Billy Graham's name. Is the one role is just as important as the other. But all those names are there. I, if I had a chance to open it up, would scan for my grandma. I'd scan for my mama, my dad. I'd scan for my oldest son. Because I know those names are there. And I look forward to seeing those names. We're talking about everybody who ever put their trust in what Jesus did on Calvary a couple thousand years ago. And all of those names are sealed up. They can't be read out. Therefore, they can't inherit. Wait a minute. Galatians said we're all going to be heirs according to the promise. Well, yeah, we are. But the names have to be read in order for us to claim our inheritance. Why? Because nobody's worthy to open the scroll. It's sealed, perfectly sealed shut. The immensity of that moment. I want you to get this moment. John, who's seeing all of this transpire in front of him, breaks down. Verse 4 of chapter 5. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Here's John transported to the end of times 
and it washes over him that all those names are there. Those people that put their faith in Jesus and what he did for us, those names are there, but they can't be acknowledged because the record is sealed and he just stands there and weeps broken over the reality that those names need to be read, but they can't be. Verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, come on, read it with me. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. There's somebody, John, you don't have to cry. There's somebody who's overcome. There's somebody who's triumphed. There's somebody who's worthy to open this book. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. He's the one that was promised from the beginning of time, the one who was slain before the foundations of the world. There's one who's worthy. Don't cry, John. The book will be opened. It's a conquering lion who is able he has overcome and so John in that moment starts to wipe his tears and he turns around slowly to see this conquering lion in order to give thanks to him and to honor him for his ability to overcome and to read the names and as he turns to see the lion on the throne verse 6 he doesn't see a lion at all Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Grasp the moment. You understand what John saw He saw that everything he had seen and heard up to this point has now come together. Seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits of God, all of this perfection and completeness has come together in the body of the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, the one who paid the price for your sin and mine. His name is Jesus Christ. Verse 9, and they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased man for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. I want you to go back. Who's going to be there that day? 24 elders? Yeah. All of God's creation, yeah, but not just them. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, that word nation in the Greek is ethnos, from which we get the word ethnicity. Every ethnicity from the planet will be gathered around the throne and together they will be made a kingdom of priests to serve our God under the banner of Jesus Christ. Do you see the picture? Do you see the image? Every ethnic group, every people group, all gathered around the throne. 
Verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. I don't know if you've ever done the math, but 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million angels. You getting the immensity of this moment? They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Here it gets really good. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits. Read it with me. To him. Come on. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped him what are they going to do what are we going to do what are all of the angels and all of creation and all of mankind that's given their lives to Jesus Christ what are they going to do in that moment they're going to sing worthy is the lamb the only one worthy of our worship every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord hear me guys that day is coming the only question is will you do it voluntarily now or be forced to then. And if you wait until that moment to be forced to recognize who he is, your name's not in the book to be read. There's another place for you where weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth takes place forever. Why do we do what we do why do we serve the way we serve? Why do we give the way we give? Why do we sacrifice day after day, week after week, month after month? Why, why do we do all this stuff? Because there's a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And it's our job, it's our role, it's our purpose for existing to do everything we can to make sure that everybody who possibly can and will will be in that scene. So what do we do now to break down those walls of separation? What do we do now to make sure that those economic barriers don't separate us as a people, that religious backgrounds and ethnicities don't separate us so that we stand together under the banner of Jesus Christ? What do we do now? What would it take to break the wall of separation now so that we worship together now. Billy Graham said 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. He said that 50 years ago. There's a little bit of change. There's not a lot. Can I be so bold to say I don't believe that racial tensions in America will be solved in the nation until they're solved in the body of Christ? Because if we can't get along under the banner of Jesus Christ, how do you expect anybody to get along with their own agendas? The good news is God gave us a plan for that too. I'm going to bring this to a close and we're going to end in worship. Pastor Ricky's going to come back in just a few minutes with the band and we're going to end in worship. But I want to get real practical for a moment before we do. Acts chapter, eight, chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus has died for our sins. He's risen from the grave. He's shown himself to, to 500 witnesses over a 40-day period. And now he's headed back to prepare heaven for us. And he said, I'm coming. 
But, but as soon as I get back to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He told us back in John chapter 14, 15, 16, that's what's going to happen. But now, okay, it's time. I'm going. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. But when you receive, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Acts 1.8. And you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and at all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Many of you perhaps know the geography of that region. In case you don't, Jerusalem is what? It's the city where they lived. And so for us, that represents our immediate area, the areas immediately surrounding where you're sitting right now. Call it Rosewood, Princeton, call it Wayne County, Joko, this side of Johnston County, whatever. It's our immediate area. Judea for them was the, was the region surrounding the city. And so again, for us, that, that's, that's extending into Wayne County and Johnston County, those areas, that, that's our Judea. Samaria, what did Samaria represent? It was a region, but it was also a cultural divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. So there was a cross-cultural element to this call that was not just geographic, it was cultural. And so for us, that doesn't mean cross-racial or cross-ethnic because we're, we're coming together under one banner, whatever your ethnicity is. I hope you're proud of your heritage, whatever your heritage is. I hope you're proud of it, but we're coming together under the banner of Jesus Christ. So for us, cross-cultural means prison ministry. It means ministering to homeless people or to drug addicts. It means reaching out to people who aren't part of the middle America working class folks that most of us are. And then, of course, the ends of the earth is international ministries. We're going to simulate that scene this morning. And while we do, I want you to... I want you to picture it in your mind. I think I mentioned somewhere early on in this process that Jesus is coming again. Did I mention that? And and did I suggest that that could be any minute? Did I say it strongly enough for you to hear me? That could be any minute? The Bible says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to return. He's patient giving us a chance to reach as many people as possible to empty hell and populate heaven. He's given us time. That window of time is closing. For us, we talk in terms of local outreach ministries and national outreach ministries and international outreach ministries. There's a card probably somewhere close to where you're sitting. Get it in your hands. I want you to get it in your hands. I want you to hold it there for just a minute. I'm not going to take a lot of time with it. We made a fairly significant shift in the way we approach missions this year in the life of the bridge because here was the challenge that really burdened my heart for over a year. We had, oh, close to 50 missionaries that we were supporting, but you ask the average person in our church, regular committed core members of our church, who, who do we support as missionaries? And they might could think of one or two. And I said, we, we need to change that. We need to get to where we know who we're supporting and we're praying for the people that we're supporting. They we're either going ourselves or we're sending or both. And so I asked the other locations of the bridge if they would scan that list and they would pick out missionaries that resonated with their congregation and begin to break this down. So 
the Mount Olive Bridge has a, has a list of missionaries and the Goldsboro Bridge and the Smithfield Bridge and what you see here is the Princeton Bridge. These are the ones that we're supporting. Of course, some of them like Belize and Kentucky, those cut across all of our locations and so we're all working together in those primary ministries. But you're gonna be hearing a lot more. Did anybody see the missions wall, the For God So Love the World wall when you came in this morning? Was that awesome or what? You're going to see some acrylics out there in the days ahead with a, with a prayer card for every missionary support. I'm in personal contact with all of the missionaries who support, and I've asked them simply, there's one out there with Ron Wooten in Africa, where you just simply, okay, when you go to church, pick up your iPhone and shoot me a quick 20-second thing. Say, hey, man, we are in Congo right now, and we're about to start worshiping the Lord. Just shoot me something. We're going to put it on the screens. So when you come in, stop and look at the screens, and you're going to see real-time stuff that's going on in India and Africa and South America and around the world. We're going to raise the bar on awareness of what God is doing around the world through the ministries of our church. Across our locations, we gave over $150,000 to missions last year. Praise God for your generosity. I want that to be more than just write a check. I want it to be pray a prayer, write a check. I want some of you to go abroad like you've never been before and go, man, I'm gonna stretch my worldview, I'm gonna go. I'm talking to all of these missionaries about short-term trips. We're going to raise the bar on missions in this house. Why? Because Jesus is coming. So whether it's local outreach in our soup kitchen or Bridge to Hope or other things that we do, prison ministries that we do around here on a regular basis, or it's national ministries like Kentucky, uh, Lynch, Kentucky, and other places, or it's international, I don't care. Our, our call, our mission. Is to, is to prepare as many people as possible for that day when every tongue and every time will gather around the throne and worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Are you with me? Are you with me? Can we make a difference in this world? by leaning into it just a little bit more, praying a little bit more sincerely, giving with more intentionality. Can, can we make a difference in this world? I believe we can. I believe we can. I believe we are. I believe we can take it to a whole nother level in these last days. So here's how I want to close the service this morning. I asked Pastor Ricky to prepare and come back with the team. If you want to be there, if you want to be one of the names that's called out when the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, breaks the seals and opens the scroll and start reading the names, if you want to be one of the names that gets read and you want to be around the throne in that day of magnificence, can we simulate that scene now? Can we do that? I'm going to ask you to just get up from where you are if you want to be there that day. Maybe, maybe you settled this a long time ago. Maybe you've never even thought about it before this minute. I don't care. If you want to be there, I want you to get up and come down here and let's gather around this altar. And we're going to simulate that scene. We're going to sing together. We're going to worship our God, the King of Kings. We're going to give Him glory this morning. We didn't invite you here to embarrass you in any way. If if this embarrasses you, I apologize. I just, but I want you to be confronted with the reality in as loving way as we know how that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and you are invited to come. Spread out, if you will, and make room for everybody as they're coming. If you can't get all the way to the altar, just move out to the aisles. 
Let's take one step in this direction. And in doing that, you're saying very powerfully, very physically, I want to be there that day. Father, we acknowledge you as the creator of the world. We acknowledge that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, we acknowledge you as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world who gave your life to pay for my sins, our sins, but conquered death, conquered hell, conquered the grave, and you're alive. We're going to gather around your throne one day and worship you.